Welcome to Interviews for Resistance. Since election night 2016, the streets of the U.S. have run with resistance. People all over the country have woken up with the conviction that they must do something to fight inequality in all its forms. But many are wondering what it is they can do. In this series, we'll be talking with experienced organizers, troublemakers, and thinkers who have been doing the hard work of fighting for a long time. They'll be sharing their insights on what works, what doesn't, what has changed, and what is still the same. I am Sarah Jaffe, your host. Lisa Woolfork, Charlotte, Black Lives Matter, Charlottesville would have been no one, no person, no black woman like myself would have been wandering out anywhere down here by themselves yesterday. Yeah. So um, that's a big shift. Yeah. So for sure. Uh, all right. So yeah, I'm, I will try not to take up too much of your time then. Um, I've talked to some folks sort of on background about this stuff, and I interviewed a couple of folks the last time there was a, a white supremacist rally in Charlottesville not that long ago. Yes, yes. Um, and you know, there's been one every single month since May. Um, every month. I think that that's important. That yeah. To me, it's just a type of escalation yeah. on the part of the alt-right. Yeah. Um, we are seeing, you know, we had that, that torch rally around the Lee statue. Yeah. Um, I think in May they had an event, in June they had one, in July, of course, the plan, and then August is this one. Yeah. And so we started calling this the summer of hate. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So it's hard to say, like, okay, so what was the last black supremacist rally we had here? Was that the May one? With the, you know, with yeah. the, the handful of plans, and was it the June one? Yeah, there's, it's, it's been quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, and so this one was obviously um, a bit of an escalation for them, but um, I guess yeah. Tell me about how was your day yesterday? Where were you? What was uh, what was going down where you were? I was. I began the day at um, the First Baptist Church on Main Street. It's an African American historic African American church that did a service for um, just to kind of galvanize people to come out and stand up for their community. Mm -hmm. um, there were um, wonderful um, messages given there. Um, Reverend Tracy Blackman yeah. from the U I think United Church of Christ, she spoke. Mm -hmm. um, Cornell West, um, who's a well-known um, activist, she yeah. spoke. Um, there were song selections, and it was just a great, it, it, the, the service was called the Sunrise Service. Um, and that began at 6 a.m. Then we walked over to the Jefferson School, um, and from there we proceeded, um, and it was like a, a group of us proceeded from there to McGuffey Park. Right. Um, and at McGuffey Park, there were there was programming. Um, there was a a, a, um, a gigantic live um, theater puppet show. It was one a gigantic puppet of Sally Hemings that was like. 15 feet tall yeah. and other props to kind of tell the story um, about Charlottesville and the permit in the march. And that was put together by a wonderful team of very creative um, activist artists um, at um, in, um, a community called Cherish Community. Um, Grace Aaron, um, A-H-E-R-O-N, um, put together that. Her first name is Grace. Um, and that's just an example of, you know, just, just basically a chance of togetherness, togetherness. Um, the alt-right had come here to threaten the largest gathering of hate that they had ever put together, at least since the 1960s. Right. That's what some of the um, people had been saying, that this was a very power powerful gathering. And I was very um, gratified and encouraged to see that so many in the community, as well as visitors, 
um, and people from other allied organizations and unaffiliated individuals, people who had no um, connection to Charlottesville and they weren't members of any kind of organization. They just wanted to come out and stand on the side of justice and stand on the side of what America truly means, not what America has become. Um, and I find this, I found that very encouraging. I helped this one woman, um, she must have been in her 80s, um, walk down a very steep slope, and she was kind of struggling by herself, so I just walked over and put my hand out yeah. so she could have balance, you know. And to me, that seemed like a great metaphor for today. Like, how do we help one another? How do neighbors, people who come together, find common cause? Um, in the face of hatred and intolerance and um, promise abuse and vitriol. And so this is a really, I think, um, it's been a very very powerful and encouraging part of the day, Um, as well as seeing um, the the Nazis and the alt-right retreat from Mm -hmm. Emancipation Park after their event was declared an unlawful assembly. That was quite a parade of hate. Um, As they were leaving the city, they threw, um, as they were leaving the area, they threw flares, they spit on people. Um, There were several altercations um, of shouting matches and shoving matches. And so that was, you know, but still, it was a very um, powerful display of how love conquers hate. And to stand there shoulder to shoulder to shoulder with neighbors, with colleagues from my department in English, with other faculty from around the university that I've seen a few of, from people in my own organization representing Charlottesville, I mean, Black Lives Matter Charlottesville, um, which is a very small and new group um, yeah. to develop allied connections. These were all, um, it's just basically an example of how the community wants to stand together yeah. against the threat yeah. and the promise of racist violence. Um, and something that I thought was very, again, heartening was that too often people want to believe that symbolic hatred and symbolic racism has no real world consequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That if we are to maintain symbols of white supremacy, those are completely divorced from the practices of white supremacy. Right. That is false. Yeah. 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 That's a really good point. I think um, obviously these people were drawn to Charlottesville and are having this massive rally in Charlottesville, not because Charlottesville is uniquely welcoming to white supremacists. Y'all clearly proved you're not, but because the symbols there are meaningful to them. Yes, absolutely. And one thing that I like to kind of impress upon is that I think it's very important to retain attention on the Confederate monument. Mm-hmm. I, of course, many people are turning to um, Louisiana and New Orleans as an example of a mayor who decided to step up and say, no more. Right. These are relics of a racist past, and I want us to build a better, a better future right. as a city. Yeah. Um, we do not need these any longer. They have outlived their usefulness. Yeah. Charlottesville has not done that. They have not done a complete process of reckoning. Um, they, the there was a Blue Ribbon Commission that worked hard to uh, uncover lots of very interesting information about Charlottesville's um, unique Southern history. Um, 
but the but the recommendation that they made yeah. There were two recommendations. One was to remove the statues, mm-hmm. and the other was to recontextualize them in place. Um, and I have always been against the recontextualization argument because I don't believe that you can make a huge monument to the Confederacy mean anything other than a monument to the Confederacy. Right, yeah. But what I find really compelling is that when the Memorial Fund, I think that's the name of the organization that sued the city in court, mm-hmm. when the city council voted to remove the statues. Now, mind you, they voted to remove them from one place to another. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another, then they, then they had a later amendment where they would move the statues be out, outside of the city. They didn't oh. want it anymore. Right. Um, the, the Memorial Fund, the Monument Fund, said that one of their arguments in court was that if the statues were to be moved, yeah. it would do them irreparable harm. The quote, as part of the legal argument that the Monument Fund made, was about irreparable harm. I really think that we need to concentrate on that claim. Yeah. yeah. What does it mean that someone's personal identity is bound up in a racist Confederate monument to a monument to white supremacy. For me, the the, the argument about recontextualization is right. has already been made. Right. Nothing. I think the best and most honest context for these monuments right. is white supremacy. Right. Nothing says what these monuments really mean, like a thousand white supremacists coming to defend them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and speaking of the symbols, there was a, there was the controversy about them wanting to have their rally in, um, in this particular park that had just been recently renamed, having been named for Robert E. Lee, right? Yes, that's right. So one of the concessions that the, one of the recommendations that the Blue Ribbon Commission made was that the two, parks that have Confederate monuments in them be renamed. Right. We have Robert E. Lee statue, and that's in Lee Park. Right. So it's called Lee Park. And then there's a Stonewall Jackson. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I think it's Stonewall Jackson. And that was always called Jackson Park. Right. And so they changed Jackson Park to Justice Park. Mm-hmm. And they changed Lee Park to Emancipation Park. And the city, that was a name change that they approved. There was, um, they agreed to do that recommendation. And that's already taken effect. So people are now calling them in in our local media and other places and throughout the city documentation refer to these parks now as Emancipation and Justice rather than Lee and Jackson. They had sued right over wanting to be able to have their rally in this particular park even though the city had ruled that they they could not yes they did they did and they were helped by the Rutherford Institute which I believe concentrates on free speech issues or constitutional issues here in, in Virginia and they were also aided by the ACLU Virginia chapter yeah. Um, both of which um, turned out to be representing them in a legal capacity. Um, 
so the city ultimately agreed, or the judge, I'm not the city, the judge ultimately ruled that they could hold their um, rally in Emancipation Park. Some of the legal issues, I don't want to get too much into them, mm-hmm. but it was not, it was around heckler's veto and not wanting a heckler's veto um, to change um, anybody's unpopular views. And so they just believed that it was, that the, the judge just ruled and sided with the alt-right, mm-hmm. with the white supremacists, the Nazis, the white nationalists. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, at that, at whatever point that their, um, their gathering was ruled unlawful and they were pushed out of the park. Um, so tell us what happened because that was, that seemed to be when the real violence broke loose. I think, well, I think that's interesting. I mean, I, I would say that the real violence was allowing, um, these Confederate monuments to remain in the city, in the center of our yeah. city, yeah. um, as, as a peon or a testament or an endorsement of not just eight, not just 19th century white supremacy, mm-hmm. but, um, 21st century endorsement or tolerance of white supremacy. Yeah. So um, I think that that is something that I would certainly kind of emphasize yeah. um, that there was, and there's so many ways to think about and define violence, mm-hmm. but yes, as they, what, from what I was able to see from where I was standing mm-hmm. was when they had their walk of shame from Emancipation Park to whatever the other venue come to um, McIntyre Park, which is a park that's a little bit, I'm not sure, maybe a mile or a mile, a mile and a half away mm-hmm. from um, their original location. Um, there was a lot of, there was a lot of scuffles. There was a lot of pushing. There was a lot of, um, again, they would, they would throw um, smoke flares mm-hmm. um, at the counter protesters or counter demonstrators. Yeah. Um, and the counter demonstrators would kick them back. Yeah. Um, there was yelling. There was a lot that was certainly at work um, in that moment, and it was um, it was quite um, chaotic and yet heartening because um, my personal feeling at the time was that Charlottesville had come out and had drawn other like-minded people of good conscience mm-hmm. to aid in combating white supremacy and fascism and white nationalism that we had worked to reclaim in some small part that promise that America makes to all of us. And that is the, the promise of equity, the promise of the, that the constitution shouldn't be used as a battering ram. Um, It shouldn't be used as a weapon to direct, to deprive other people of rights. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was pretty heartening. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, let's go back a little bit and talk about the organizing leading up to this. Cause like you said, there have been all of these rallies, there have been new groups forming and organizing going on on the ground for a while now to counter this. Um, but tell people about what's been, what's been happening. Well, um, the way that we've been working is um, at, in, a, in a coalition basis mm-hmm. um, that, you know, we believe that we are stronger together than separate. Um, and so 
there's been an umbrella of groups working as an organizing network um, to best um, to best utilize a variety of resources um, and you know and so that's something that's been very powerful. Yeah. Um, so groups like um, congregate, which is um, a collection of different faith organizations mm-hmm. and pastors, ministers, rabbis um, from a variety of, again, different faith traditions. Mm-hmm. You have the group Surge showing up for racial justice. Um, you have Charlottesville, uh, Black Lives Matter Charlottesville as another example. And just one of a, of, of a constellation of groups that when we kind of pull together um, are trying to kind of mobilize our community for the greater good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so particularly coming into this rally, what was the sort of what was the plan that that folks had for dealing with this day? You talked about the more the sunrise service, the clergy and that the the, um, the day of programming, but Tell us a little bit more about sort of how you planned to respond to this. Oh, so one of the, what we thought that one of the strengths of a coalition-based um, activism is that it allows for a variety of approaches. Um, and so unlike the Klan rally, which was much more kind of focused on a particular single place and time, mm-hmm. um, and I was involved in different, you know, seminars and symposia um, surrounding that, as well as some activism on the ground. Mm-hmm. This was much more dispersed. We understood that this was not meant to be uh, a one-and-done type um, gathering for the alt-right. It was meant to be basically a weekend party where they would come in on Friday, yeah. um, and then they might they leave on Sunday um, that they would need much more infrastructure in order to work. So our goal was to help pull the community to respond um, to the larger, more capacious um, threat of what the alt-right and the white supremacists, neo-Nazis, nationalists were were representing and threatening to bring forward. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and I think we were able to do that. I think we were able to do that. Uh, we were able to bring together a variety. We, we Several groups issued individual calls. Um, the clergy, for example, had a really wonderful one um, in ca- calling on, in particular, white people of faith, white ministers, um, white clergy to come and join in in taking a stand against not just um, explicit virulent racism, yeah. but also the subtle institutional racism that its own institutions had created and cultivated over time. Right. So it was a really, I think, very powerful soul searching on the part of the clergy, for example. Um, Charlottesville BLM also issued a call where we invited people who wanted to come and stand with us um, and to challenge questions of, to challenge white supremacy, um, as well as some of the other issues that we are dealing with in our city, which include things like the disproportionate, um, the disproportionate nature of stop and frisk in mm-hmm. Charlottesville, yeah. where African Americans are stopped and frisked about 80, 
constitute about 80% of the stop and frisk, even though we comprise less than 19% of the community. So these are other, it's not just the statues, but we can see a very clear connection between um, symbolic racism and institutional racism. Yeah. Um, and so going forward, you said you're on your way to, to a vigil, so I want to um, let you know yes. just a second. But yeah, just um, tell me what's what's next? What are people planning sort of going forward from this weekend? Um, you know, I can't speak because one of the things about um, about the coalition is that not everybody knows what everyone's doing. <laughs> yeah. um, but it seems as a, as a coalition, our goal is to continue in the vein in which we have started. Okay. And that is helping to pull people to come forward and to join and stand in community against these types of aggressive, dangerous, menacing, racist practices and symbols. Um, I know particularly that um, Charlottesville Black Lives Matter is interested in talking more about um, the Confederate statues and how these monuments um, should be removed mm-hmm. and how the city council should work hard to fight in court against the legal challenges that we might face as the court to remo- as the court as the court case to remove the monuments continues to go through the system um, that we want the city council to put as to basically care as much about the rights of citizens as they did about preserving the rights of the all right when they allowed their permit to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, that we, we want the city to be committed to questions of racial justice and to appreciate that the age in which we are living, racist rhetoric is not just talk. Racist rhetoric produces racist action. Racist statues are not just art. That symbolic racism is rooted in actual racist action. That's great. And how can people um, how can people keep up with you and with Charlottesville BLM? Um, Please check Charlottesville BLM Facebook page. Um, BLM Charlottesville Facebook page. We do a lot of updates through there. Um, we also have a Twitter feed, so they can follow us there as well. Interviews for Resistance is a project of Sarah Jaffe with assistance from Laura Fayebois and support from the Nation Institute. You can find more information at necessarytrouble.org. Thanks for listening.